Well, it's good to see everybody. And um, last week we, we started a, a worthwhile uh, discussion on, on the topic of, of, of elders uh, in the life of the church. And so we are, we're continuing um, that day, or, or we're continuing that today, as well as for the next couple weeks. So real quick, though, I want us to, to recap um, together what, we've, uh, what we talked about uh, last week, just, just briefly. Um, because it's extremely important. Um, first thing that, um, uh, that Brother Bill started off with for us is, is the importance of, of, of the church getting it right. Um, uh, we, we, we cannot afford to, to get things wrong. Um, and, and in particularly, um, now, now of course we, we wholeheartedly want to believe and trust in the sovereignty of God. We, we wholeheartedly believe when Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that that Christ is going to build his church, that he said, I'm going to build my church, then, then we want to believe that, that as we grow and move into that place, that we know that Christ, excuse me, is building what we're doing here. Um, it's not the work of man. It's not the work of the flesh or blood or, or by talent or what we can conjure up, but it's Christ who's building uh, his church. Uh, but yet we want to be responsible, right? And we want to submit ourselves under the Word of God. And we're going to continue that conversation today as well as we continue to talk about uh, elders. And so it's very important for us to to get right what we are doing, particularly when it comes to how we look at our, our, our leadership and organization of the body of Christ. We want to get that uh, uh, right. Um, the Bible clearly lays that out for us, and that's why we're, we're starting at this point, right? So we, we had a couple weeks before where we, where, we, where we taught about some really awesome things, um, and, and really that was for us just to kind of breathe a little bit, kind of get our place, get grounded a little bit in what the Lord is doing, and, and now we're, we're in the process of that, of that shaping, right, and that carving that takes place. Um, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to be able to uh, work with uh, uh, Nelson Leitze, and you all may know him or not, but he's, he's, he makes cabinets. And I've been able to work with him for the last two weeks, a couple weeks really, since I got uh, canned, and uh, to make a little bit extra money and, and, and things like that. And i tell you one thing, cabinets are not made in a day. They're not made in a day, and, and, and if, unless they're junky, right? But if, if you want something that's quality, something that's going to last, something that has a really good finish to it, that it's not going to you know, give you splinters, right? And, and you want it to have a nice shape, and you want it to be square, right? Meaning not just the square, but you want it to be level, like you could set your egg on the counter and it doesn't roll off, right? If, if, you, if you want that, you have to put the time into it to get everything precisely right, to make sure everything is, is square and correct. And it's a long process to get it right. It takes many, many weeks to get to that point of, of installing. And then even then, it's a, it's a long process. And e- so in this, if we want to look at something as a work that's a lot bigger and a lot more important, we have to see that the work that we are doing in, 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 in planting a church is a, is a work that's worthwhile, but it's also difficult. And anything that comes easy is not worth having, right? Can, can, we, can, we, can we believe that? That if something comes easy, it's not, it's not re- worth really having. That's why cheating is just stupid. Because you gain nothing out of it. You, get, you gain nothing out of it. And so we want to we uh, do things right. So we, we talked about the qualifications of the elder, and, and we went to Tim, or Titus chapter 1, and, and we saw uh, qualifications such as this, above, above reproach, right? Above reproach. And, and once again, we had the, the, the quote by D.A. Carson. Was that right, Bill? And, and it was what's, what's uh, extraordinary about the, the, the qualities of an elder is that they're not extraordinary, right? Is that what it is? Remarkable, Remarkable right? Uh, because, because they're qualities that, that every one of us, man and woman, those who are in Christ, we all should be aspiring to. We all should be aspiring, looking at these qualities and, and not just write them off and say, oh, that's just for the, the super Christian, the one who puts the cape on and comes up here and preaches and sings music. That's only for them. No, those are qualities that we're all to be going about. We're all to be working in our lives in, in such a way by God's grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the transformation of the Holy Spirit, and by the Scripture, and also 
through the church a, a certain holiness about us that makes all of us uh, above reproach, right? And so we had all these other qualifications underneath that, the above reproach, the husband of one wife, children are believers, no charge of debauchery or insubordination, uh, not arrogant, not quickly, quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, hospitable, hospitable, a forgotten art in many ways, right? Hospitable, the lover of good, a lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, the discipline, and, and there's a giftedness to teach, right? That was kind of the, the separation there between kind of everybody else and then the, the giftedness and the calling of those who are to be elders. There's a giftedness to, to teach, and in that giftedness, there's a, a holding firm to what is trustworthy as taught as, as God's word, and then able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and rebuke those who contradict. So I want to quickly go over that uh, uh, real, real quickly. And today what we're going to do is we're going to shift the discussion more off of the man, right? We talked a lot about the man last week. And, and this week we're going to shift the conversation over to the office, right? Over to, to the office. And, and we're asking the question, what is an elder or who are they, right? What, what is an elder or, or who are they? Once again, I, I remember saying this uh, last week in, in discussion, and of course I had one person, uh, I had Miss Patty come up to me and, and say, well, we're in Michigan, that's all we have. We were part of churches that had, had elders. She said, when we came down here, I thought everybody else was weird. Uh, and, and I was like, praise the Lord, right? I knew, that's why I kind of gave that, that 1%, right? Um, and, and, and so, but, but for most of us, and, and just kind of looking around the room, I think it's pretty safe to say that none of us have ever been a member of a church that was elder-led. That was elder-led. We've, we've always had a, a pastor, like a senior pastor, and, and then there were uh, uh, the, the, the deacons who weren't necessarily underneath, but there were the, there, then there was the deacons, Right. Um, and, and that's what most of our experiences have always been. And, and, um, and we have a very, very little uh, uh, experience with elders. In fact, some of us might have heard of it, particularly in our, in our culture, or, or at least in where we live. We, there's, there's elders at a few churches here in town. The Primitive Baptists, I do believe, do elders. Is that correct? Right? And, and we don't want to associate with them, right? I mean, it's kind of like, ah, they're weird kind of thing. And, and then there's the Presbyterians, right? And their elders, by the way, look a lot different. Right? They, have, they have governing elders, right? not, not, not leading elders, but governing uh, elders. So, so a lot of times our experience when we talk about elders has always kind of been negative in a sense, right? Isn't in, in our culture, if you, if you talk to a friend, they may go to another church, and they, maybe it's First Baptist or, or wherever, and, 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 and you say, yeah, this is what we're doing in, in our church as we're organizing it. We want to do elders. And they're like, What? You want a, you know, a group of curmudgeons telling you what to do kind of thing. That's, that's kind of the idea, right? Um, it's, a, it's kind of a, a negative idea. In fact, some of us have, have maybe even kind of put it together and say, well, that's not really even Baptist. Do Baptists even do that? Like, that's just Presbyterian or Church of Christ kind of stuff, or, or I mean, Christian church uh, uh, kind of thing. Is that even uh, part of our denomination? So, so a lot of us, we, we should all have some questions, right? We all should have some feelings in some way toward this idea when we talk about elders. And if you don't, if it's kind of like a, a tabula rasa, a blank slate for you, then praise the Lord. May, may you be conformed in what the Scripture says without anything pinging upon that, right? And, and, I, and I pray that... Um, uh, today, uh, for 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 us as we as we as we go through that. So, what we want to do, um, and, and and I want to make this clear too. If if this conversation is not biblical, like so, if the last two weeks of what we talked about, including the next three weeks that we talk about uh, biblical elders, if 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 this isn't biblical, then we certainly don't need to go in that direction, right? Isn't that true? I mean, I like it. Richard's like, absolutely. If this isn't biblical, let's not do this. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that idea. If it's unbiblical, let's not go in that direction of, of leadership, and, and then let's just do what we've always known. But let's just do what we've always known. Yet, if it is biblical... If it is biblical, not just to Bill and myself, but if this is biblical, as we see, as we've been walking through the scriptures, we started last week, we're going to continue this week, then we, all of us, we must be compelled 
to reconsider the way that we are going to organize or govern or lead this church in light of God's word. Right? We must be willing to put everything on the table on what we believe or what we've always thought, our traditions, our thoughts and ideas and our experiences. Put it all in light. I'm willing to put it on the table. Let's, let's put it on the table. And there's a point to this series of why we're preaching and talking about elders. And some of you, those who are discerning, you've picked up on it, what we're, what we're slinging out here, right? A, a, a normal church plant, by the way, the process of a normal church plant um, wouldn't have necessarily the process of, of teaching and going through elders kind of in the way that, that, that we were doing because there would already be those in place who are starting and planting the church and, and, and growing the church by, by inviting and getting to know the community and, and bringing people uh, in, into the church. And so they would already, there would already be the assumption that they are the elder. Right? That they are the, the leader of that, of, of that congregation. Until that congregation grows more, there becomes a, a greater need for more elders in that congregation, then, then they'll raise up more. But we're a little bit different, right? Because we're, we're kind of past steps one through seven. I don't really know. I haven't read the list yet of steps of church planting. But, but we, we kind of, we've kind of jumped already, right? Because, because we have an already kind of established group. Praise God, we, we, we know each other some, somewhat, and, and we're growing to know each other uh, more. Um, by the way, I, I loved our fellowship meal last week. Uh, man, we, I know it, it could be a lot of work at times, and, but, but wow, it's so worth it. We, we need that. We need that interaction of, of, of just hanging out, hanging out together. But, but we're, we're past a lot of those particular points. And since, since we already have people who are here a part of this plant, what we need to do and what our end goal is, is we need to affirm elders among us. That's, that's the end game or end goal of this, of this time of, of, of teaching and as we are moving forward so that we can establish these two, the two things that we believe would make us a congregation, a church, like a local body. Elders or a, or a polity, a leadership of the church according to the scripture. And then number two is church membership, right? And, and we believe that we need to set the polity first, the leadership, before we can start establishing the church membership, right? Does that make sense? Anybody? Does that make sense? Yeah? Good. So that, that's, the, that's the end game for us. And that's why this is so important, that we, so, that we would, uh, um, so that we would see uh, uh, what the Lord has for us, and, and that would be a greater clarity as, as we gather together to worship. Right? We, we see all the intertwining of, of all of these things, that how we can form and do things all is, is constantly uh, forming on how we worship uh, to, together. So my hope and prayer for us as we continue this discussion, number one is this, is uh, through this whole discussion about elders and as we implement leadership of elders in this, in this congregation, my hope is that we will trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. And we will trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. We cannot conform ourselves around our own ideas of what church should be or even what we have always known because they could be wrong, quite possibly could be wrong. But, but in everything that we do, we, we, should, we should be in subjection to the Word of God. We should bring everything in subjection to, to, the, to the Word of God and to the truth of, of God's Word, that we, that we may be conformed to God's Word in all things, right? So if we believe God's Word is sufficient for us, and we believe it's exactly what He has told us it is for us, and we see the, the truth of God's Word that God has really spoken, then it should affect everything that we do. Yeah, yes. Amen. Because and, and exactly in how we shape. So we're putting we're putting everything, our thoughts, our ideas, everything in subjection to God's word. That's the first thing. Number two, I, I want you and me, and this is kind of a light of it of what we're doing. I want you to see not only in being able to put things in subjection, but I want us to trust the word of God. I want us to, to trust God's word. Actually trust it, right? Step out on faith and believe it. And, and, and believe it. Number three, I want, I want you to see that the conviction of, of eldership within the church is not one of strictly of just pragmatism. And, I, and I'll, let me define that. 
meaning that, that we should have elders because that is just the best option for us that will give us the best results that will have the least amount of consequences. Does that make sense? Meaning, meaning that, that we don't want to just do elders because it's the best. It's the best way, and, and it's going to give us the, the least amount of consequences, and it'll give us the best results in, in growing a church and growing a congregation. I, I don't want you to see my conviction as being that way because what I want you to see is that elders are firmly rooted within the Scripture. Once again, right, every one of these hopes and prayers that I have had all this week in thinking about this and developing this has always been for all of us to root ourselves in the Scripture and to be trusting in it. So not that it will just build us and give us the great result, but that we can believe that what God has said and how God has uh, said how to organize His church is good for us, even though none of us have ever, ever have any, had any experience in an elder-led congregation. In an elder-led congregation. Next thing is, is, and I even prayed about this, is that I want you to have questions. I want you to have questions. I want you to ask questions. That's okay. Like we, that's why we do the end thing. I want you to ask questions. Ask them freely, not only to us, but ask them freely to the Lord. And so with that, let's pray together. Let's ask just the Lord to, to help us to have an open heart and open mind as we continue our discussion this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we need your spirit to help us as we, as we open your word, your words of life that you have given to us in your, by your grace and by your mercy. And so we, we pray that, that, that in all things, God, the things that may be rubbing us wrong even right now, there's a, there's a friction in our soul because of just in these words, Father, that the, the spirit of, of, of Christ would, would come and dwell in us in such a way that it would, that it would run that out and that it would soften and sand that down, that we may be conformed by what your scripture says. Not just that we would be convinced, but God, that we would submit. Lead us to submit to your word this morning, by your grace and by your mercy. Amen. So let's, first of all, I, I wanted to start here um, in, in talking about uh, elders and, and my discussion on who are they and what is an elder is, is, is once again, just to kind of start the point of, of can Baptists have elders, right? Which is most of us are Baptists. I'm pretty sure every one of us in here are, are Baptists. We were, most of us were, were, were raised um, Baptists. Actually, I think James was primitive Baptist for a while. So may, maybe he, yeah, he was elder-led, so he knows. Um, so, so, so can Baptists have elders, um, uh, especially Southern Baptists? Well, I want to, without walking through too much history, I want to walk a little bit in history because it'll help us understand this uh, a, a little bit better. And there's a lot of history, but I, I decided to, I distilled it down just to a few points to help us uh, um, understand it. Um, in the late 1700s, here in the state of Georgia, right? So let's get it close to home. Here in the state of Georgia, two prominent Baptists, right? Baptist, Baptist, Baptist. A guy named David Tinsley, along with another guy named Silas Mercer. Now, you may know the name Mercer, Georgia. Ding, 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 red flag, right? Silas Mercer was Jesse Mercer's father. Jesse Mercer being named, or the university named after him, right? So we know the Mercer family, right, of Georgia. If you took your Georgia history, right, you, you, you know. So here's two guys, prominent Baptists, David Tinsley and Silas Mercer. Both of them, Baptists, they were ordained as ruling elders, and they were unpaid lay elders in, in, their, in their congregations. Both of them. Both of them, very prominent, very prominent guys. And, and, and there's been ample evidence throughout, throughout American history of, of, of Baptist associations that, that taught and, and believed that the offices of, of the church were elders and, and deacons. They were only, only two that were taught in, in, in Scripture, such as the Philadelphia Association, right? The, the Kentucky, uh, it's called the Kentucky Elkhorn Association. It's like we're talking like back in the 1700s when they organized these, these, these associations, right? And, and then the Charleston organization. So maybe another one really close on. There's some awesome, rich Baptist history in Charleston, uh, which is really cool. Um, and apparently as here in Georgia, right? The, the New Hampshire uh, Confession in 1833 uh, identifies the local church scriptural officers as bishops or elders and deacons, right? Those qualified claims and duties defined in the epistles Timothy and Titus. That's what it says. 
1858, there was written the Abstract of Principles, which was written by Southern Baptists, four Southern Baptist seminaries. And it says the, that it says within there as it states, the regular offices of the church are the bishops or elders, right? It's a synonymous term, and deacons. And listen to this, as of up to 1963, right? As of like 1963, the Baptist Faith and Message, which most of us are familiar with, right, used the term elder in its description of the offices in the church. And in 1963, Southern Baptists changed it to pastor instead of elders as of 1963. In 1846, the very first president of the Southern Baptist Convention, W.B. Johnson, he advocated elders as well. He advocated elders by saying this. He said, the importance and the necessity of the elders for each church embodying gifts for various services is thus most obvious for the accomplishment of one of the great ends for Christ came into the world and for which he ascended up on high. He receives gifts for the men. And this is what he means by all this. He says, when there's a plurality of elders, each elder brings a different set of gifts and abilities so that the whole church benefits from their shared ministry. W.B. Johnson, first, very first president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, John, John Piper uh, quotes in saying this about elders and Baptists. He says, the least we can say from the historical survey of Baptist confessions is that it's false to say that eldership is unbaptist. On the contrary, the eldership is more Baptist than its absence, and its disappearance is a modern phenomenon that parallels other developments in doctrine that makes its disappearance questionable at best. The demise of elders is only in the past 200 years. And, and what we see in the quote of what Piper's saying is mainly because we see a lot of it from the, um, the, the, uh, the degrading of doctrine and the importance of, of, of doctrine. And in these past 200 years, there's been a decline of elderships in Baptist churches is why most of us have never been under, under elders with a replacement of a pastor who resembles more a CEO than rather a humble shepherds of the New Testament. The promotion of self-ruling and absolute liberty of the individual of the individual of the American mindset brought this shift as well, right? Isn't that what America is all about? Self, self-ruling, self-guiding individualism, self, self-liberty. We took that and we shifted it into the church as well, saying, I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't need to be led by a group. And this, this shift in the American mindset brought a, brought a massive shift from, uh, from what, what was the church became now just the individual. Or we just kind of ran together as individuals. And, and, and let's, let's just talk about the evidences of this. All right, now, this is what we should be familiar with. The evidences of such things is, is, is we have to ask the question, how well are churches really doing since that shift? How well are they really doing? Good? Would you say that they're flourishing? Is the gospel flourishing in our churches? This side says no. This side says nah. Right? You look at statistics, baptisms in the Southern Baptist churches aren't growing. Churches, churches aren't, aren't, aren't growing. Would you say that Christians, people who call themselves Christians or are part, even a part of a church who are members of a local body of believers, that they're acting as salt and light in our community? Would you say that? Would we say that? Are we going to say that are our, our, our family values, practically speaking, different than our neighbors? Are we watching the same things that they're watching? Doing the same things that they are doing? Are our congregations nurtured and disciplined like our New Testament church counterparts? No. Are our membership roles inflated with unattending, undiscipled, and unregenerate members? Well, not this one. I can tell you that. But yes, absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is what we have experience with now, right? This is what we have experienced now. Are pastors and staff held accountable to anyone besides themselves? Could that be the reason for the alarming rate of moral failure among pastors and staff? 
Could it be? But, but, brothers and sisters, we have the scripture. And guess what? It is not too late for us. We are at a glorious place right now. Yes, it may seem like we don't know what's happening. We, don't, we can't see three steps in front of us. But we are at a glorious spot in a glorious place. And by God's mercy, let us all humbly come to the scripture and be prepared to be shaped by it, and that we may be biblical in this area. And so with that, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. That was just my introduction. Uh-oh. Sorry, it's only, it's only 11 o'clock, but it feels like noon, right? Oh, water. Thankful I brought water this week. Everybody ready? Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Brother Candy, why don't you read that for us, please? To the elders among you, I feel as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must but because you are willing, yes. as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right. Thank you, Kenny. Along, along with the church, as Peter has been addressing here in 1 Peter, he's now intentionally turning his gaze, not just to the churches and, and, and their membership, but he's turning his gaze now specifically to the elders of the church. And, and, and background, as, we can, as, as you can kind of write this to any, any of the letters, that, that Peter is writing to the church in Central Asia, which what, which what we would call Turkey. I think that's Central Asia, right? Turkey. And, and, and to the churches in that area, uh, he's, he's writing to them to encourage them and to exhort them and to exhort the elders and the churches and the members to encourage them to remain faithful under such pressure. They're being persecuted, right? As, as we know from all the other churches, I mean, they're being persecuted. And so he's encouraging them not only uh, 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 not only to stay strong, but he's encouraging them to, to trust in what the Lord is giving to you as a church and as a body and as God has given you leaders. And so he is addressing the elders. He is addressing the elders. And, and I don't know if you can notice here, you, you can once I say it, but notice something very interesting. Peter is addressing who? The Elders, see, you admit it yourself. It's plural. He's not, he's not saying the singular, the, the pastor or the shepherd or the elder or bishop, but more than one man in each church as part of the elders. And, and, he's, not, and he's not actually like teaching this. Like He's not saying have multiple, right? It, it's already assumed. It's already assumed that there would be a, a, a plurality, right? A, a multitude, a, a few elders to lead that church. Paul not only assumes the same thing throughout all of his writings as much as Peter does, but nowhere in Scripture is the title elder, unless it's speaking about a specific person, is it ever used to describe the singular. It's always in the plural. Every time. There's not one time. So let's, let's walk through some examples. We're going to do go really quick. Turn your Bibles to Acts. Let's walk through it. Make it quick. Come on. You uh, former RAs and GAs and Awaners and all that, let's turn, turn to Acts. Make it quick. Come on. Bible drill, Bible drill, Bible drill. Acts 11. Acts 11. Or, or turn on your smartphones. Acts 11. Everybody there? Verse 30. 
Look at verse 30, and it says, And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The elders here, right here in this church, the elders were in leading in the church at Antioch. They were leading in the distribution of relief to the church in Jerusalem. The elders, right? And the elders gave the money or the relief to, to Paul and Barnabas to send it, right? So, so let's not think that, that he's speaking about elders, meaning it's a bunch of pastors from the local churches that just got together to help. Because guess what? In Antioch, there was only one church one place. There was a multitude of elders. Acts 14. Acts 14, just a few pages. Unless you've got to study Bible, then it's probably a whole lot more. Acts 14, verses 21 through 23. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had what? Appointed who? Elders for them in every church. Right? The plural to the singular right there. Singular church, plural elders. I love this. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. As the, as the apostles went from church to church, and as the, they went, these missionaries went, they, they planted churches and they appointed elders to each one. Acts 15, turn, turn the page or stay on the same one. Acts 15, verse 2. It says, After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to grow, go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question, right? And this is in Antioch, right? The Judaizers were, were making their way into the church and they were trying to tell them that uh, not only, yes, you, you are saved by grace, but you also need to get circumcised and you, need to, and you also need to take part in the festivals and the law and things like that. You need to do these things. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with them in debate, and it became a certain point that they brought it up in a way that they brought it to all of the apostles that were left and to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. They went to that church, submitted under the authority of the elders of the church of Jerusalem, as well as the teaching of the apostles. Verse 4 in chapter 15 there says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles. I love it. By the church by the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter at hand. Right? So here's the, well, don't we see they're, they're gathered together to consider the matter at hand? Don't we see that that is the task as we, as we read in Titus 1? Right? This is what they do. They, they, they dig into this, the spiritually discerning things, the Bible, and, and, and always want to walk in sound doctrine. And, and not only that, think about how raw it was way back then. Like, right then, they didn't, they didn't have the full scripture right, that we have, a complete canon like, like we had. They had the Holy Spirit, they had the apostles, of course, who, who experienced and knew Christ, and they had definitely some great experience to, to conform that to. But here they are, the elders and the apostles considered. I, I, I think it's amazing to me that even the apostles, the apostles worked with the elders. I mean, couldn't the, couldn't the apostles just kind of cowboy it? It says, uh, we've been with Jesus, you haven't. So. No, they worked together. They, they worked together to consider the matter. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, meaning the church in Jerusalem, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so they sent Judas and Barsabbas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men of the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are in Gentiles, who of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. The addressing of it. Right? Even the elders were part of the process of calling out other men to go with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. 
Go to chapter 16, verse 4. Chapter 16, verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observant the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Once again, more, more evidence. And consider this, that there's a perceived authority, not only of the apostles, but also the elders of Jerusalem, of the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, Acts 20. This is a huge chapter in Acts 20, and we're going to, spend, we're going to camp out in Acts 20 in, in the next couple weeks. But it says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And what he did was he called the church elders of Ephesus to meet with him before he would finally go to, Paul would go to Jerusalem for his last time. He knew he wouldn't see them. So he called the elders to him. Right? Not the pastor, not the one shepherd, not the shepherd, music minister, and youth pastor, but the elders. Acts 21, verse 18. Acts 21. On the following day, Paul went with us to James, meaning he finally got, he got back to Jerusalem. He got, and he went to James, which James, the brother of Jesus, and all the elders were present. That's just Acts, right? And that's 21.18. And there's three more times in, in, in 1 Timothy. Not, not even including the, the qualification list in chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. He's addressing the elders again. Chapter 5, verse 19, do not commit a charge against an elder except in the evidence of two or three witnesses. Right? Speaks of it singular there, right? Because he's talking about the individual elder that the charge can be committed against or, or omitted against. Yet the assumptions we saw in verse 17 is the plurality of elders. Titus 1, right? We, we talked about this last week. Titus 1, verse, uh, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. Paul says, Titus, this is why I left you there. Not to just hang out on the beach, right? Not just work on your tan. But I left you in Crete. I've never been to Crete, so I don't know if it has sunny, has a beach or not. Have you been to Crete? Been around Crete? Okay, um, so that, what does he say? So that you may put what remained into order, right? Organize the church, right? To those who want chaos church, this goes against it. Reminder to, in order to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Once again, the plural to the singular, right? The plurality of elders to the, to the singular. I like that. James chapter five, that's right. Book of James. James chapter 5, once again, James the brother of Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 14. Can you all get there quickly? Or get there quickly. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, Is anyone sick among you? Is anyone sick among you? Let him call the pastor of hospital visitation. Let him call the music minister because the pastor's out of town. Let him, let him call the youth pastor because that's the best we got left. What does it say? Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I love that. What a, what a glorious role and task and, and, and privilege of the elders to be able to lay hands on those who are sick. Dude, I've never done that before, but I want that to happen. May God heal people. <laughs> that would be amazing. So, why then does Peter, right? First Peter chapter 5, back to that. Why then does Peter address the elders? Why then? Why then? The apostles and the missionaries would not be with them all the time. That's why. Because he wasn't going to be with them. The transition, the time was taking place where the apostles were, were no longer going to be there. And so they had to have the leaders established. And so they appointed elders from among them. 
They appointed elders from among them. Elders were the spiritual leaders of the church, particularly in the absence of the apostles. They did the work of the preaching of the gospel, the strengthening of the disciples among them, and to encourage the saints in face of tribulations belonging to the elders. It wasn't just the task of Peter, but the elders also did the same thing. They also exhorted and encouraged the believers who were facing persecution. If not more, they were more on that ground level. They knew specifically what the persecutions were. They knew what was happening to uh, uh, to Johnny Smith and losing his business because, because nobody would shop at his place anymore because he was a Christian. Or, or someone's daughter got kidnapped. They, they knew that. They knew that. So, let's ask the question, just kind of bringing it back to our day. Our church staff, the way that we see church staff now, are they the elders of the New Testament? Right? That's, that's kind of an argument that's used that, well, you know, church staff as they are work now are, are the elders of, the, uh, of the, the New Testament. So nowadays we know churches that, that generally have a singular pastor and then multiple staff members to do certain roles, youth, seniors, missions, children, uh, music, etc., etc. But the authority usually generally lies only in the senior pastor. Is that the same as the elders of the New Testament? Is, is that the same? And, and that's right. And as we see, the evidence, the evidence is biblically that the office of elder has not evolved into something that we know as the modern-day organization of the church. And to think so and to believe so is to take our 21st century, or 21st century idea, which, by the way, is only 200 years old. By the way, it's very young for the history of, our, of the world here. Right? It's to and take that, the, our modern-day 21st century idea and to impose that on the Scripture. May we not be ones who impose what we think and what our culture has taught us over the years and impose it upon God's Word. And then we'll find little text, right, to prove our point. That's called eisegesis. That's called proof texting. It's wrong. That's imposing what you think upon the, the Scripture, and that's very scary. That's very scary. So what an elder is not? Right, going now to the question, what is an elder? What is, an elder is not? And, and we, we talked a little bit about this in the qualifications. A biblical elder is not simply just an older male, right? A biblical elder is not just an older, an older male. This doesn't exclude older men. In fact, it would always be very healthy for an elder board to be of different generations. Absolutely. Always need a little gray hair. Yet, because we see in the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, do not teach an age of the qualification as is is part of the qualification of, of a man. Like, so, so our founders of our country said they, the president has to be 35. Is that right? Is it 35? Man, I could run for president this year. I just realized that. How awesome is that? I can run for president. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. That was a little bit of a slight. Um, Right, and so so the age doesn't qualify necessarily a person to fulfill those roles, except he only says of a new convert. If it's a new convert, someone who's who's young in the faith uh, is is not to be an elder. So just as we heard last week, that the title elder is not just a description of is not a description of the age of the man, but a description of the maturity of the man in Christ, the maturity of the man in Christ. Number two, a biblical elder is not simply a successful businessman. It's not just a simply a successful businessman. What we see in Scripture is that leadership in the church fundamentally looks different than the world. Fundamentally looks different than, than, than the world. And so, so therefore, we're not looking for people who, who just, know what they, they just know what they want and how to get it. An elder is not just someone who, who knows what they want and know how to get it. Nor are we looking for uh, people who know how to manage other people or, or someone who can raise money or someone who knows how to climb the ladder or someone who knows how to close a deal. We're not looking for that kind of an elder. That's not what the Bible says is what a qualified elder is. Right? Uh, uh, next one is that the, 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 church is not just a, um, the church is not just a nonprofit business. Right? And, and therefore, it should, just, it should not be ran like one. We're not a nonprofit business, and we shouldn't be ran like one. We're the body of Christ. And so our corporate entity as the body of Christ is very different and very distinct. I, uh, A.K.A., we're weird. Get used to it. We're weird. That's who we are. The church is weird. 
And we're not to be ran in a way that, that resembles that. Yes, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be wise. Absolutely, we're to be wise. And there's distinctive principles of, of being biblically correct in our doctrine, servanthood, holiness, faith, hope, and, and love that makes us distinct. Number three, a biblical elder is not simply involved, is, is not simply an involved uh, community member. Certainly a good thing for, for the church and its members and its elders to be uh, uh, invested in working within the community. And it's a trait I wish that every one of us would have as, as, a, as a church as we grow into that, that way so that we may make the gospel visible in, in our community. And that Lord has put us in some, some unique positions within this room to be that salt and light in our, in our community. But just as the, uh, uh, a successful businessman doesn't qualify necessarily a person to be a biblical elder, it's the same point here. It's the same point. Just because one is involved or is even respected within the community or holds a particular position of authority doesn't make that one qualified to be an elder in the church. Number four, biblical elder is not simply just a, this, is, this will resound with us, is, is not just simply a good old boy, Right? He's not just simply a good old boy, right? And, and, and uh, for us, and I don't mean this to be offensive, someone who eats at Boyd's, right? Hangs out that one circle table, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's not just someone who's just a good old boy, right? And, and, and just to be true, if, if you're from Statesboro, if you're from Statesboro, which most of y'all are, uh, I know you're not, you're from Millen, hanging out, right? Most of y'all from, from Statesboro, which, which is awesome, but, but you're not just a resident. You're a native, right? And, and there's, a, there's a pride. I, I've noticed that over the years. There's a certain pride of that. Uh, someone was pointing that out to me in the obituaries, that it says that in the obituary, that they're, this person that passed away, they were, you know, they're from there, but they were a resident of Statesboro. But if they're a native of Statesboro, it'll actually say it, a native of Statesboro, right? It actually says that, right? And there's certain perks, right? And you guys know this. There are certain perks in, in being and in being from Statesboro. If you live in Statesboro, it doesn't matter if you're somewhere else. But in Statesboro, there's certain perks to that, right? Right? That, 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 that not, to, not necessarily for, for others. But one of those perks doesn't, doesn't make you an elder. Doesn't make you qualified to, to be an elder. Right? Not even church membership for a certain amount of time will, will, will make, us a, uh, make someone a, an elder. It's not who you're friends with. It's not who you know. It's not who you're connected with. Right? It's not, it's not that. It's not, it's not your race. It's not your last name or, or who you knew, know or where you're from that can, determine, that can determine if you're an elder or not or how much power or influence you have. And we see that all too often in the church, don't we? That it's last name. It's who you are. It's how much you've given that determines you know, how much of authority and how much of a stink or, or peace you could make in a church. Right? That's not, that's not right biblically. Here's a tough one. Everybody put away your guns. Number five, a biblical elder is not a female. A biblical elder is not a female. That's why I told you to put your guns away. Because I know you women are packing. <laughs> Definitely. Now, now, I say this, I want you to know this, and I'm saying this in all grace and candor, that, that, that this is not, to, not intended to belittle the role of women in the church at all. Not, not at all. And in fact, what it is supposed to do, what this does, is it's supposed to, supposed to bring about a greater flourishing for you women and for our young ladies and for our girls. Right? I got three of them for, for our girls. And, and here's the distinction. I want, to show, I want to show it to you biblically, okay? So, so that's, that's what we started off with, it started biblically. The qualification is laid out in 1 Timothy uh, uh, 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. Both of them assume male leadership. And this is how the, why they assume male leadership. It doesn't say it specifically, but it assumes male leadership because the qualified elder, the qualified elder is different from other positions such as the deacons in the church because they can do what? What's the massive distinction? Who remembers? Is what? What's the distinction? Say it loud. Say it proud. Authority. What's the authority? What are they doing? Teaching. Teaching. That's right, teaching, right? They're, they're the ones who are, who, who are teaching, right? And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, right before chapter 3, which is where they lay the qualifications out. This is Paul speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we've already been reading. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 9. 
We're going to go through verse 15. It says, let a woman, this is within the church, Paul speaking to Timothy, Timothy leading the church in Ephesus. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That's popular. And do not permit, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, there are many who will look at that text and say, that was cultural. Cultural women, that's what they did. That, that's, that's who they are. That's what they're doing. But, but now, we're, we're empowered, right? Not we, but you. You're, you're empowered, right? We've, we've gone past that. Suffrage movement. Women are voting now. They, they can do hold any position now and like everywhere uh, as, as just as much as men. In fact, let's just do away the terms. Our culture is also even awesomer. We've progressed even more. Let's just do away with the terms male and female in general, and we'll just have people. Right? How weird is that? Right? But here's Paul's argument. Verse 13. Paul goes, or Paul goes right to the beginning. He says, verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so the prohibition here, the prohibition here, what I mean by when I say that a, an elder cannot be a, a female is, is not one that's cultural and can never be saw as cultural. We can't look at that text and say that it's cultural because Paul doesn't go to culture because he says that's, that'll make you cool in Ephesus. But Paul says it that according to Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in creation, not just the fall, but in the creation, that there are specific gender roles for male and for female that you are to abide by. And when you go outside of those gender roles, you will not see flourishing. You will not see a, a certain rhythm about you. Or in your church. Or even in your leaders. The prohibition here is not cultural. It is in creation. So hear me when I say this, ladies. The intention here is not to put you down. The intention here is to see you flourish. Because what that'll do is that'll, that'll cause men to stand up and lead. And you will flourish when the man leads. Because we were designed to. Now, here's what I'm not saying in any of this. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that women can't teach. That is bunk. I think my wife's a better expositor of the scripture than I am. I honestly believe believe that. Women can teach. Absolutely. Can they teach in the church? Absolutely. But not over a man. Not over men. That's why that's not biblical for a woman to stand up and preach on a Sunday morning to us. They, can't, they cannot lead in, in, in that area. Just not over men as, as, as the scripture clearly teaches. And once again, it is good for men and for women to not ignore this part of the scripture. It is where we will flourish. God has created us male and female. We're equal in the image of God, but we are given different. God has given us different yet complementary roles to fulfill both in the home and in the church. There are beautiful, glorious things that you women bring to our church that, that churches have ignored for years. Have ignored for years. And it's wrong. They, they haven't shown male complementarianism. They, they've shown male domineering. And they've given you no place biblically. We want to cultivate a place where you will flourish. And if men are doing well, you're going to do well. Does that make sense? Anybody pulling out their gun? Anybody pulling the, the, the hammer back? Okay. Number six, and I hope that's the last one. No, it's not. Uh, a biblical elder is not a politician. I think that's pretty easy to safe to say. There's not a, not a politician. We can look uh, um, at, the, uh, at the text. Once again, Titus 1, talking about the overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. That, that kind of discounts a politician, right? Um, it must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Meaning this, I, I think that if, if you have a man who is politic and for, their, for that position, uh, I think you have red flags. And as a body, we should have red flags on that. And number seven, I want to I go uh, number seven. This is, a, this is one. Uh, a biblical elder is not just someone who is educated or seminary trained. 
There was coughing, so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> a biblical elder is not just someone who's educated or seminary trained. Um, there's, been a, there's been a stigma that, that needs to be confronted within our Bible Belt culture that, that says that, all, and, and I, think the, I, I think that unbiblical uh, church structures has cultivated this idea that you have to have the, the professional lead you. You need the professional, right? Someone who's been certified by Southern Seminary or Southeastern Seminary or some of those other Baptist seminaries, right? You need the professional to come in with his cape and, and, and pet your hand and pray for your toe or pray for you as you're suffering or whatever it may be. You need that person to teach the scripture to you because they're seminary trained. And there's nothing wrong because guess what? I'm seminary trained and I'm thankful and I'm delighted. I'm grateful for, for that. But this over-professionalization, I made that word up, um, of, of spiritual things, these multi-staff church of hiring professionals to do all the work for the people who are supposed to be equipped to doing the work is wrong. It's not right. Elders are the church of, of the church who are, are men who are morally qualified and biblically qualified and holy and they're competent to teach the scripture. It never says that they went to, to, to the Jerusalem Baptist Seminary. Never says that. Not a formal education is required, but absolutely biblically qualified every time. And therefore, what I am telling you here is this, that elders of the church, sometimes they're paid staff members, but most often than not, elders should be lay elders. They should be unpaid staff members. They should be unpaid lay elders. That's where the plurality comes in. You're like, how can we afford multiple, right? Because God has raised up men who are with us and amongst us who are qualified to fill these roles biblically and are qualified. And guess what? You don't have to pay them. Right? What is an elder? Right? What is, what is an elder? We've been, we've been really talking a lot about that. The elders sound in their doctrine, sound in their theology. They're unified with the other elders in their, in their doctrine, in their theology, their core theology, their doctrinal distinctives, their cultural distinctives. They're, they're unified together. They're, they're, they're unified together. When this, when this group of men who are elders, who are, who are brought together, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, they, are, they can be some of the greatest impacts on the spiritual growth and the health of the church. And it is, it is the kind of leadership that is worth following. It is the kind of leadership because you know God has called them and they're qualified. And if God has called them and they're qualified, can't we trust God's word and follow their leadership? And when they're biblically qualified and they have the character and skills to lead the church, the people will flourish. Growing in Christ, unified in Christ, and marked with holiness. So looking back at our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, he exhorts the elders and he tells them to shepherd the flock. Right, well, these are things we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. He tells them to shepherd the flock. He tells them to, to exercise oversight. He tells them not to, not to be swayed by man. Aren't you tired of someone who, is, who, who lets the tail wag the dog? What a, what a pathetic man. How pathetic is that? Elders are men who do not, are not swayed by, by popular opinion, even if the rest of the church is against them. If they're firm to the scripture and firm to the word, they will stand strong. Well, this person's upset about this, so we need to do that. Bull honky. That's tail wagging the dog. That's foolishness. Be a man. Step up. Elder, right? Be an elder. Not self-serving gain. Amen to that, right? Don't we want leaders who are not for self-serving gain? But they serve. They serve the body with eagerness and with joy. Not as a, not as a tyrant, but with humility. I want to go back to number five real quick. Something just hit my mind. These last five weeks has been difficult for us. But I can tell you, I've, I've, I've had so much joy in doing ministry in these last five weeks than I've had in a long time. And you want to know what the number one reason is? Because I've been... And I don't mean this ugly. I mean this just the way I feel. I feel free. Like I'm, not, I'm not people pleasing, right? What do I got to lose at this point, right? 
I'm not people pleasing. I'm free from that. And with joint eagerness, we want, we want our elders eager and joyful, not tyrant, but with humility. They want someone as an example that we can follow them as they follow Christ, as one who is serving under authority of another shepherd, the shepherd Jesus Christ. And the result of this is, first, we'll, see that we'll have seen that there is a plurality of biblical elders, and we, we've already unpacked that, so we'll go to the second. The second is this, is that it's good for the flourishing of the church. It's good for us. It's good for the flourishing of church. Doesn't this encourage even the smallest and even the poorest of churches? Even the smallest and the poorest churches who can't afford to hire the most talented professionals and, and, and musicians and orators? but absolutely trust that God has provided for his bride in a gifted, qualified, spiritual man of the church who can lead. That speaks to us. Um, Mark Dever, senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church and Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., he's also an elder at that congregation. He said this, he said, probably the most single, probably the single most helpful thing to my pastoral ministry among my church has been the recognition of other elders. The service of the other elders along with me has had immense benefits. A plurality of elders should aid a church by rounding out the pastor's gifts, making up for some of his defects, supplementing his judgment, and creating support in the congregation for decisions, leaving leaders less exposed to unjust criticism. Such plurality also makes leadership more rooted and permanent and allows for more mature continuity. It encourages the church to take more responsibility for the spiritual growth of its own members and helps make the church less dependent upon its employees. Our own church in Washington has enjoyed these benefits and more because of God's gift to us of the elders. That's a lot. That's, that's a delight to hear. It is, it's, it's for the flourishing of the church. God gave us that for the rounding of the gifts to meet the needs of the body. And the third one, it's good for the pastor. It's good for the staff. It's good for the elders. Uh, in, in, uh, in the book, Elders in the Life of the Church, Matt Schmucker said, precisely here do we find the wisdom of the New Testament pattern of plural leadership. No one man possesses all the gifts necessary for leading a congregation. Some men are endowed with his strong pulpit gifts, but others lack effective pastoral skills. Others excel in pastoral work of visiting and counseling, but are not strong when it comes to pulpit exposition. Some have unusual abilities in organizing and administering the ministries of the church, but falter in the pulpit and counseling skills. But the strain of tending to the entire ministry of the church can quickly deplete even the most gifted of men. As, as a man, speaking personally now, as a man who is who's called into the ministry and, and one day if I reach that point, aspiring to be a pastor and teacher of the word, um, to, to have men, biblically called men, those who are qualified to be elders and, and affirmed by the body of Christ around me, who will not only encourage me but will correct me in the gospel, um, is, a, is an encouragement that I, I can't, I can't fathom. It would be difficult to understand. It would be difficult at times, absolutely, as personalities rub. Because the truth of it is, is it wouldn't all be up to me. It wouldn't be all up to, to one man. It wouldn't be all dependent upon my giftedness or talents or, or what I bring to the table. But it's what God has shifted and what God has created and what God has called and what God has put together. And it's also an encouragement because we're not, I'm not alone. Not I'm not living on an island of, of doing this great work and this ministry by myself. Yes, I know Christ is building the church, but, but also that, that there are men who are around me that are encouraging and doing the work of the ministry alongside as equal brothers. So if I take a shot, we all take shots. If, we all, if, if one gets hit, we all get hit. So are we, are we going to conform to Scripture? As difficult and even different than, than our own experiences, can we trust the Scripture? Can you? Can, can you? can you trust Scripture? 
we can, yes, we all have questions. Yes, uh, there's lots of nuts and bolts about an elder board and how it all come together. Yes, it's a difficult process in finding and training qualified elders. Yes, we will not look like the rest of the churches in Bullock County. But before the Lord and before the scriptures, can we trust the scriptures and what Christ has given to us and that he is going to build our church and that he is going to raise up faithful elders who are called to serve this body? Can we kind of get over those things and trust in the scripture? That's why I started with that and that's why I'm ending with that because I think that's the point. Like we have questions and doubts and that's okay. But let's bring it from the angle of, I, I, I need to, I just kind of need to know. Like, and not in a way of, oh, that'll never work. That, that, that doesn't make sense. We've never done it that way before. That's not right. That doesn't seem Baptist. We're not, let's not think. Let's come in from the way of, yes, oh, Father, I believe. But help my unbelief. That's what we want. That's what I'm asking of you. That's what I'm asking of me. I'm always begging Bill to do that. I'd throw him under somewhere. All right. Let's pray. Was that long enough? I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Lord, shape us in how you will to the glory of your name. Oh God, that we would be a, a local body of believers and established church here in this area not for our glory, but to yours and to yours alone, that your kingdom may be made known in, in its fullest way as the gospel is preached through our lives and through, through our mouths, that we would see people saved, that we would see members join, that we would see men and women and children baptized. And God, that you would raise up men to lead us as elders in the church. Help us to trust your word. Even when we don't understand, let us trust the word. Step out on faith constantly, knowing that you are what's best and what you have given to us is what's best. Help us, Father, as we have our time of responding and discussion. May it be edifying to, to the body.